2: Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture, and let me welcome you to a new layout for uh, The Table. Normally, you're used to seeing a big table, a big microphone, and in the background, a logo that says uh, Table Podcast. But alas, uh, as all of you know, we have been quarantined for quite some time, and we're recording during this time of quarantine. We'll be recording remotely, and we'll be doing this with some shows in the future. So that's A little preamble to where we're headed, but our topic is actually very related to how this is all uh, coming down to you today. Uh, We are going to be talking about leadership in the midst of what might be called the twilight zone in quarantine, uh, where you don't know what's going on when you're making decisions that relate to the future without all the pieces in place that you normally have to make those decisions. So leadership in the context of Uncertain Circumstances is what we're going to be talking about today, and I couldn't think of two better people to have this conversation with. Uh, Mark Bailey, who is president at the Dallas Theological Seminary and is winding down his term as president. He's, um, I guess, less than two months to go, right, Mark?
0: That's right. My my wife has a, a clock on her phone, but I don't. (laughs)
2: and then Mark Yarborough president elect uh, who has his hands reaching back for the baton that Mark is about to hand him. And while Mark's, clock i guess is running down mark yarborough's clock is perhaps running up or being set to zero i'm not quite sure how that works i know i i know mark bailey's been handing off stuff to mark yarborough all along the way so the baton imagery is it's a long baton that's being passed uh so, uh, and I haven't figured out what the best way to, to address you two since you both have the name Mark and we're on a podcast and we're also having to do this each in space so that you know who I'm talking to. I, I'm not quite sure how to do this. Uh, Mark B and Mark Y is probably how I'm going to do it. That's probably Robert. the best that's, we that can
0: the do. Way it's, it seems to be a, the way it's working <laughs> on the internet and uh, email that's for sure
2: okay well thank you guys very much for being a part of this we really appreciate you um joining us today and helping through this so i want to take you back i guess it would be to february um you can you can tell me if i've got the date time right or or whatever when um words of this virus started and i guess the description would be wafting in about, uh, about what was going on and what uh, the school might face and how you initially began to process what was going on. We had, obviously, the same challenges at the center with the small group of staff that I work with, but I'm curious to hear how you all coped with this. And uh, this, is a, this is a question, I guess, to you, Mark B., first. Um, uh, when, when did the clouds
0: start to form that's a great question. Uh, I, I, think, I think we didn't understand the seriousness of it until uh, the, the first week of, of March, end of February, first week of March, when we uh, were out of uh, class. Uh, we all finished the classes. We had a, a, a week of uh, World Evangelization Conference that was uh, uh, viable on campus. And then uh, it was really coming toward the end of that week that they started talking about this thing is more serious than we expected. And so the next week was uh, what we would normally have called spring break. And so we were all functioning in the the office, probably during that week, listening, waiting, wondering, and I remember uh, I'm obviously preparing to move out of my office and uh, vacate that so Mark can move in. And so I, I was getting a lot of work done that uh, that second week of uh, of March uh, into the first week, first, first part of the second week. And, uh, and then it, it hit that middle of that week was uh, they were going to start shutting things back and shutting things down. And so uh, it was it was pretty sudden. Uh, Dr. Yarbrough was overseas uh, in, uh, in Israel. And so there was a question of, uh, of travel. And uh, we started hearing uh, airlines canceling flights. And so it, it all hit. I would say that uh, about that second week of March, and uh, we suddenly realized this is going to be different. Uh, and so the immediate, which everybody was sort of doing across the country, was uh, well, let's let's get our handle on this. Let's extend spring break for a week. We thought <laughs> that might do it. We could fix this thing in a week. <laughs> and uh, lo, lo and behold, that didn't uh, that didn't pan out. But it was a uh, it was a very sudden onslaught of. Shut, shut this place down, shut the country down, shut the travel down. And uh, let's start uh, looking at mitigation, uh, containment and mitigation kind of strategies. And so that that was all new for everybody
2: yeah the uh, mark why before i turn to you and what it was like to deal with this from an overseas slot i was in the same situation in terms of being overseas. i had gone to Germany for a week of ministry that I had committed myself to way back in the backwoods of of west germany uh, the some of the driving that i had to do in my rent a car up till twelve thirty in the morning uh is something I probably haven't told my wife about and probably never will unless she watches this anyway um, uh, and and watching this hit Italy and then begin to move north, which is what was happening in, while I was in Germany uh, was how I found out about it. So I was initially overseas, came back. And I actually was planning to go to Romania in the middle of March and actually canceled that trip two days before I was supposed to get on the plane. So uh, very sudden. for for us as well. And then we began talking about it and we were talking about it at the center in between my time in Germany and my time I was supposed to go to Romania. And Mark, why? You were in Israel. So what did that mean?
3: Well, it was pretty much the same, uh, about the same pace that we were on in the U.S. was what was happening in Israel. And so obviously we got on the plane knowing that the coronavirus was real and rampant in certain places but we were watching and still talking to the state department and all their the cautions were always there, but no, uh, no parameters had been fully set at that stage in the game. There had been no borders that were closed in that regard. And so uh, we loaded the plane and had uh, 50, 60 people and we took off and had a great time and started up in the Northern areas. And so we're up in uh, the Galilee and had a wonderful time up there. Now, what was interesting is that, tours behind us had closed hmm. and so they had been canceled just right after us and so we were like we realized we were now the last ones in the country and so when we made it in there was a bizarre thing and since all of us have spent a lot of time in Israel I mean going to the sites in March and you're the only ones there is a little on the eerie side. Hmm. Uh, so let's put it this way we, we went to places and we were the only bus where you would normally see a parking lot of buses. You would have open access. They were happy to see you because they knew now that tours had been closed behind us. So we were, we felt like we were being chased by something, but we weren't sure what. <laughs> and so we're starting north and we're running down south. Uh, we made it to the Dead Sea. We left the Dead Sea and we were planning on doing a couple stops along the way because we had to divert because of Interestingly enough, it turns out to be a closure at Qumran. Uh, We didn't get to see Masada. And so we were going to do those on the way into Jerusalem. That morning when I got up, I had a meeting, and uh, it was just an amazing thing. So we pulled into Jerusalem. We made it to our hotel. And people could leave the hotel for one day and just kind of walk on their own. Uh, they had now Netanyahu. So this is an amazing moment in, in history because mm-hmm. not only do we have the coronavirus, but they were having a change in the prime minister. Yes. So, so now all of a sudden the vote went down literally the day after we made it to Jerusalem. So not only was there the coronavirus parameters being set up, but they had just announced the new change in, in the governmental leadership at that stage in the game. So it was an amazing moment. We were in it. We ended up being in a lockdown at our hotel in Jerusalem for four days before we could get out. So as I, I joked, I went into a uh, uh, Bible teacher mode because we were all locked in the hotel and I didn't want people glued onto watching Fox News or CNN or just watching too much television as all this unfolds, because we are in a, another country. And so it was an amazing moment to be perfectly honest. So I was teaching sessions all day long in order to keep people occupied. I think we walked through all 66 books of the Bible. <laughs> so, we actually ended up being the third last plane leaving out of Tel Aviv. So we left on a Thursday morning. There was a plane that went out that afternoon and then one that went the next morning. And then for a season, they completely locked down the airport.
2: Oh, wow. So you barely got out. I, if, I Yeah, I, I was, I, it was pretty clear that had I gone to Romania, I might still be in Romania. Yeah. So uh, right. um Anyway, a a very odd time in lots of ways, and you knew pretty much immediately that this was not a very normal situation and was going to require some things, but how deep and how long it was going to run was up for grabs. Mm -hmm. So that brings me to the second round of questions, and that is you all are trying to communicate with one another about what should be going on trying to make decisions trying to decide do we come to class or not you know am i gonna, am i going to be teaching uh face to face with my students or is the decision that you make going to put me in a situation where i'm online uh etc and uh and there you are so i've i've shifted the time frame what went into the decision making process for that, and how did you all manage that as a group? I'm also on the board of Wheaton College, as you all know, and they were making decisions very, very quickly, and and uh, and they actually formed a crisis team to deal with this. They had someone on their top level staff who the president asked, "Okay, if we you were in the corporate world." What would you do? And he said, we would have a crisis management team formed immediately and we'd be off and running. And that's what Wheaton did. So what, we, what happened at Dallas? Well, that's
0: a good question. And in, in fact, it's very, very parallel. We felt probably not so much as the decision making within the functionality, and I'll, I'll relate to that and then I'll let Mark speak into that as well. But we felt there was gonna be a real need for us to have a clear, uh, concise, and consistent message coming out to uh, our constituents which includes our faculty staff students board donors alumni etc so we we appointed what we called a covid-19 task force we asked our uh, dr ed heralco who uh, heads up our marketing and communication division at the seminary to chair that and we have a, a very diverse diversified and cross section of the departments represented on that uh, covid 19 task force, and they have done a a phenomenal job meeting uh, daily to start with, uh, then three or three times a week, and at least weekly now, and probably more so just intermittent communication. But uh, I would say that was probably one of the most strategic things that we did. On that force, we represented everything from academics to finance to communications to uh, HR to uh, the business office, uh, the president's office, operations. Uh, so we, it's a real a diversified group uh, that uh, allowed a lot of uh, I would say constituents to speak into the process to give us input along the way. But that's been a uh, that's been a huge help right up right up front. Uh, I would think of four words, and then I'm going to turn this over to Mark for the academic flex. But when I, when we started thinking about this, there were sort of four variables. One was how are we going to take care of our people. Uh, number two, uh, what's going to happen to resources? uh both uh you know the question obviously for us we only have two major rivers of resource that's tuition and gifts, so what will happen what will this do to resources and nobody knows that totally yet, but it obviously is immediate question uh, a third question was the issue of uh of mission how do we how do we maintain our mission uh and that's probably even higher than the others but uh but immediately you think of of, of people <laughs> functionality, how do we keep on mission and I would say the fourth one was uh it's going to require a, a significant change in method to accomplish that mission. And so uh, I think back, and this has been a part of our testimony 15 years to a conversation with a Chinese businessman in a downtown, uh, you know, dinner uh, facility at the top of a high rise in downtown Dallas, where 15 years ago we'd said uh, we would love to start thinking about distance education for international students. And he said, how much does it cost at the time? It was a hundred thousand dollars, of course, UNT, University of North Texas, Dallas Baptist University, University of Dallas, we're we're all starting to put some things together. And and so it was quite expensive to hire the personnel to get the licensing to create an online course. He leaned over, whispered in my ear, and said, I'll take two. And uh, he helped launch our first uh, online course, which won course of the year in distance education uh, that year. And uh, wonderful provision of the Lord as we look back that allowed us then to have some flexibility, some technology, personnel, and resources, and I would say the minds and hearts in the room to be able to make the shifts that we did. So, Mark, why don't you tell them, you know, what, what kind of shifts that took uh, for our faculty, our classes, and uh, then I'll talk from the staff side.
3: Yeah, the by the time we rolled into spring break, I think it was starting to become clear, and obviously there'd been some uh, some mandates that had been given throughout the country and certainly within the state, uh, we knew we were not coming back into to a normal classroom environment. And so as we extended spring break, that bought us really somewhere about seven days to convert all of our courses over into a digital format. And that's in essence what we did. So in about a seven day window, we had an incredible team. And I remember friends, this is the entire team of Dallas Seminary. It was first and foremost uh, an online education department and a group that handles the structural moves to that. Uh, It was the incredible staff to to ramp that up, to help and assist. And it was the, the faithful faculty to say, okay, we're gonna have a new model As we move forward, some were very familiar with all of the tools we were gonna ask them to be doing because as Dr. Bailey had just said, we have been in the the online education, distance education, digital world of courses for many, many years. And because of that, I think there was a a large sway behind this to, to help one another out along the way. And so in about a seven to 10 day window, we converted roughly speaking about 350 courses and got them into a digital format. Some of them, again, were already there. Others, we were doing new recordings. We were getting the next units and modules ahead. We were teaching some new technologies to some faculty that had not done that before. But again, the team surrounded them so that a faculty member was not left alone. And uh, it was the grace of God. And we really think that the Lord, through all those years ago, had put in motion those things so that at that moment in time, we were prepared to make that fast of a change. And so here we are at the end of the semester wrapping that up. And it has been an amazing thing to watch the faculty adapt quickly, teach efficiently, and for students to learn effectively. And so we've seen that along the way.
2: Well, Mark, you said you were going to talk about the staff. Go ahead.
0: I think, obviously, you know, you start to thinking if we're going to be uh, I we've, we've all learned a whole set of new vocabulary from shelter in to shutter in, you know, to quarantine, to self-quarantine. Uh, to 2020 is going to be the, the, the year of the expansion of the dictionary, you know, of American terminology for crisis management. But uh, uh, for all of us to start thinking, how do we function remotely and effectively? And uh, seriously, thank goodness for things like WebEx and Zoom and other technologies that are in place uh, i mean i've been i 've been very amazed with a national necessity to use this kind of technology that we 've had not had more downtime than we have i mean it 's been to me it 's been amazing that we have stayed up and running and there hasn 't been a lot of crashing of the technology so kudos to whoever has been keeping all of us running from that standpoint. <laughs> secular, yeah. sacred uh, you know i 'll take it from the Lord as a gift whoever did it and so uh, very very grateful but but what what can we do? What should we do? What have to we what we have to do from a remote standpoint with our administrative assistance, with finance? Uh, if you can imagine on the business side, how do we process checks coming into the seminary when you can't come on the campus to empty that box, etc.? And so the shift that that's taken to uh, not only guarantee your fiscal responsibility, integrity, accountability, of uh, having at least two signatures, two eyes on the accounts. Uh, the ledgers that, from accounts receivables to accounts payables to donor donations to paying bills—a phenomenal amount of creativity and work uh, to make that a possibility—and uh, and, and it and it functioned well. So uh, again, from our staff side, uh, unbelievable. And and we're not—we're uh, if I could say this—we're not immune to the stresses that isolation causes. You know, as you've heard me talk with our faculty and our staff. I'm very sensitive. We have a number of People just like you would in any congregation of a church or any company who don't do well isolated, who thrive on relationships, who uh, can go into uh, depressive moments and, uh, and cycles if they're not careful. And so just trying to be pastoral with them through our departments and maintaining communication. Uh, and that's why, ironically, Zoom is tremendous to be able to see facial expressions and, and body language as opposed to just listening to a, you know, a phone conference. Uh, They have their advantages and disadvantages, but uh, just being sensitive to to those aspects, trying to reach out. One of the things that we've done with our staff is uh, regular chapels uh, for our students and our staff on a weekly basis where we have a a short message, some music, some humor, even by uh, those who are hosting it. Uh, But we've had great chapel attendance over the last month. Uh, we've had the best faculty attendance we've had <laughs> in faculty <laughs> meetings because uh, now everybody knows if you're there or not, and uh, <laughs> so say <the accountability laughs> right. right. so You're That's on the big fun. screen or not? That's exactly right. right. You're right. A, one of the Hollywood Squares or not? We joke between Brady Bunch and Hollywood Squares, and uh, yeah, and so and, and now we've got the Zoom background, so uh, we've got people sitting in the Millennium Falcon <laughs> when they're talking, and not just their back, their their, their 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 closets or their studies or their living rooms, but uh, but I think just the personnel side of that, of the the need to stay in contact, communicate, encourage, uh, I see that as a major responsibility for us as leaders departmentally, uh, all the way up to the administration, even uh, with a board, keeping the board involved. So every every memo we've ever sent out to the faculty and students, we wanted our board to see that and to know what's happening with that. So it's it really, I think, probably one of the bigger, the burden of this time of being isolated is to you can't over communicate
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, and you can't overempathize in that sense. So I think from, from the staff side, they've been great. We've had to shift to responsibilities because, uh, uh, there's some that are, we would call, it's, it's real humbling to know that as a president, I'm not essential to be on the campus, <laughs> but, but, the, but the janitor is. <laughs> and so, so that's a good lesson for us, you know, yeah. servant of leadership, but, uh, but some of those who have to be there and the risks that come with that, uh, some who don't have to be there and how to make some of those decisions uh, as to what is essential, what isn't. So we've moved our police presence, which would be our normal security folks, into the library so that our campus community that lives on campus can still have a place to study. Uh, And that's probably been one of our our biggest concerns is the the tight confines when you have roommates and are sharing roommates in an apartment Mm -hmm. complex at DTS, our apartment complex is uh, probably functions more like a dorm in many ways than it does an apartment complex. If you were in a secular apartment complex where you rarely knew your neighbors, but when you're going to class and you're doing life with people next door, that can appear more as a dorm. At the same time, we need to keep the safety factors as if it's an apartment. So that's a delicate balance on the cleanliness and the and the community uh, spacing. Uh, you know, the social distancing. Uh, those have been challenges that our staff has had to deal with on the staff side that, uh, that was totally unexpected. I think the words unexpected and unprecedented are probably our two biggest adjectives for the year.
1: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
2: You know, you've talked about uh, new vocabulary. I have a sentence for you that I think summarizes our time, and it goes like this: um, I should have zoomed when I got skyped. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, we're uh, we're just dealing with um, all this all this communication in a different style. I've had a Friday night class that runs for three and a half hours from. From six thirty to ten o'clock on Friday nights, we've nicknamed it Friday Night Lights because there's no football in Texas right now. So you know you got to do something on a Friday night, right? Uh, and uh, we've been going through the gospels, and it's been quite an experience. You know, the personnel challenge. There are two things that you mentioned that I think are important. One is your care for your personnel. when When we started, when this first started, we knew we had two situations in our team that we had to be sensitive to. We have one of our gals and our staff who is asthmatic. And so she has an underlying condition. We have a second person on our team who's, who's pregnant. She still hasn't delivered. It's not until the end of the month. But um, so we had two situations that we knew were particularly sensitive that we had to be aware of in the team that we had in our group. And so we were pretty quick to send people home uh, and to not put them at risk. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing that you mentioned was the, um, the keeping on mission. The, uh, the challenge that we've had and what you've been describing is you almost have to redefine yourself. All the things that you do that were a normal part of your everyday operation are suddenly gone. You are not doing things the way you normally do them. You might have been doing some of that on the side, but it's not the main thing that you've been doing. And all of a sudden, the minor thing becomes the main thing. And Mark why? why don't you talk a little bit about that transition, because I think that's actually one of the harder aspects of this to deal with. And then the next thing I want to turn our attention to is how do you make decisions when you don't have everything in place that you need to make the decisions that you need to make? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's like magic. So uh, so um, Mark why, why don't you? why don't you take on the mission kind of reconfiguration issue?
3: Yeah, I think that on the, let me talk first on the faculty side, because I think, now I'm going to say this, and if we have a whole bunch of faculty that um, are watching this, I may get in a lot of trouble here. I think
2: you may be safe.
3: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I'm going to say that is because I think on the faculty side, as difficult as it was for some courses to move into a digital format, there may have been a little bit easier than other positions on the campus. And the reason I say that is because a course has papers and readings and lectures, and you have material that you are covering and you have a goal. It's at the end of the semester, there are, there are course outcomes. So as difficult as the modality change may have been for some in the environmental change may have been for some from a faculty standpoint, I think that, it may have been a little bit easier because they're still saying, here's the methodical material that I'm covering. Now, when I talk about students, that's a whole different topic because for some students uh, it, it was, okay, I can handle this, we're doing great. Other students, incredible challenge. Their occupation immediately changed, their relationship with their children immediately changed. The the ones that I think I feel for more than anything else were the moms and dads that are full-time students, or one as a student, they're now both working at home, and their children that were either at a daycare or in school were now present, and they're trying to be a student, a mom, a worker, a spouse, and a parent, all in a geographic space that may be a small apartment that's tough and so one of the things that we started talking to and you two can attest to this when we in our faculty meetings are saying the word is and you guys go ahead and know what the word is it's what it's grace Grace. (laughs) and i said that a million times because i was trying to make a point that we need to extend grace uh in as many ways as possible to our students Uh, we you know went in and instigated a pass fail for students and we've had several hundred that have taken us up on that. So I think from a faculty standpoint, it may have been a little smoother in spite of the, the pedagogical challenges for students, depending upon who they were, it was a challenge. And then certainly for certain occupations, certain roles and responsibilities at the seminary, it radically changed who they were and what they did. Some jobs literally can't be done in this format. Uh, Dr. Bailey, you made reference to that a minute ago. If you're talking about a someone who faithfully cleans the restrooms or sweeps the sidewalks, when those jobs are off, and 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 we're on lockdown and quarantine, you just can't do those jobs. So I think there were a variety of ways that it impacted the community in so many different ways, depending upon who you are, what you did and when your responsibility needed to be executed and carried out. So those are just some initial thoughts there, Daryl, as you think about the variety of ways that it impacted us.
2: Now, one of the things I'm having to cope with here because we're in this setup is, is that the people mowing my lawn have just, hit the, have just hit my backyard right outside my door here. So if you hear a little noise in the background, that's what's going on. You just got to live with the result. So uh, that I mean, so I didn't I didn't pay them to do this. So, uh, um, but I am paying them, but not to do this. It's but Okay, my wife <laughs> had to run in the room a minute ago. I so saw that. Yeah, I almost part wanted part. to wave. Anyway, so so Mark B, let's talk about uh, reconfiguration, and I'll quickly just say what well, we at the at the center. Virtually everything that we did came to a halt, but we normally do. We couldn't do. Our leaderboard, we couldn't do our conferences. We had to put off stuff. Everything that we normally operate, we couldn't get access to the studio where we do these podcasts. Everything went to ground zero with nothing to do. Well, how do you function and do what you do when you have nothing to do? So we literally have had to reinvent ourselves during the break. Um, and we look for some ministry opportunities that we could create in terms of, uh, we've built a relationship with the church and we're now ministering to high school students during this time in a way that we probably wouldn't have had time to do had we been on our normal schedule. You can see the result of what we're doing with the podcast. And it's actually generated some interesting things that we think on the other end, when this is at least different than it is right now. We're not as sheltered as we are. We will still continue to do because they are good things in terms of mission that we were almost forced to come up with in order to fill the gap of what's going on. Uh, what, What else have you seen in that regard, Mark
0: B.? It's a great question. I think with some of our staff and since Mark talked about the faculty and I, and I is one, <laughs> uh, I have been used to doing online classes and live classes, and so my live class shifted to an online, <clears throat> and that was a whole new experience to uh, take that group of people to an online format, uh, get them comfortable with it, figure out how to interact with them, meet with them uh, in Zoom you know, during normal class times uh, part of the time, but the, the advantage I had is that course was also videoed, you know, we had it all uh, captured, and so uh, I could have them look at lectures, and then we could make do more Q and A in that. So some of that flexibility creates some opportunity for the future, for pedagogy, you know, uh, experimentation, and uh, in hybrid deliveries and things like that. So, like what you're saying, some things we're not going to want to change. You know, on the, on the other end of that, but I, I think for some reassignment of of duties. Uh, was uh, that's been the challenge in our operations side especially on the campus side we still have things going on Uh, we have a lot being cleared for our new building and so there's things of preparation but jobs have changed from that standpoint I think one of the challenges that that is facing and you hear it on the news as well for this first uh, what has it been 54 days or whatever it is uh, we've uh, we've assumed our staff can uh, work remotely they can to a, per, a certain point and they can't at a certain level. I think we've all been uh, pretty flex in saying, hey, I'm not, we're not trying to micromanage what they're doing while they're at home. Uh, if the job is getting done and uh, the projects are being done, uh, the workflow issue is going to be a long-term question the longer we are. And so some places are saying, how do we manage workflow without micromanaging personnel? That, I think, is going to be a delicate thing going forward if we are in this you know, t- too many more months. Uh, in our office, for example, we've got mostly project type things, documents that need to be done, processes, uh, communication. It's easier to watch that than it might be for somebody else. But I think for some, even like in our media and arts, uh, division, they started doing because they were shut down. The cameras were shut down. The the studio was shut down. So they started, you know, assigning who could come up with the most creative, uh, they, they almost had a game. They did their own March Madness uh, brackets of competing ideas for creativity in media and arts going forward. How do we improve the department? And so they, they had a competition for new ideas in the Media Arts Center, you know, which are uh, the Media and the Communications Center, which I thought was a very creative way to manage your folks and to keep them engaged. You guys have been doing creative uh, research as well. But I think that's that's an illustration of the challenge uh, for For staff again for faculty, we know what they 're doing in the classroom. we know what it takes to be in the classroom we 're not worried what they 're studying at home. <laughs> we know that the peer pressure is uh, to be on, and the students are going to tell you if you 're not and so uh with faculty we don 't have to micromanage we know from the classroom if they 're doing the job or not. Uh, staffing is a whole different is a different side of that, and especially when you have bookstore staff or the the, the coffee you know uh place. Uh, those are starting to reopen at a retail level now with some of the reopening aspects of it. But those are some more challenges as far as supervisors being delicate and knowing what's going on without uh, pushing because, as as Mark mentioned, I, I've got students who uh, you know, have three kids at home. All of them need to be on the computer. So you're assuming all of five, all five people or four people in the family at least or maybe five have computers and you can't assume that. And so, uh, and then the noise factor, the pet factor, uh, all of us have been sort of uh, watching. It's amazing what late night television, like, uh, you know, the Tonight Show, you know, what can be done in this kind of a fashion and still be entertaining enough, even though the quality is uh, less than best. On the one hand, it's amazing how the country has flexed with the limitations. So, uh, so I think those, are, those have been some of the challenges on the staff side. And we'll be, I think, long-term, uh, you know, work, work folks are, are talking about how, how do we manage this for the long haul if things don't open back up. And uh, if they do phase, you know, we're working on a phased approach, that, like many are, of uh, rotating staff, coming back safely. But safety, security, health, cleanliness are the high priorities for the workplace. Uh, we, we may never have as clean a workplace, You know, uh, you know, we may have the cleanest workplace we've ever had going forward, compared to our histories because of this. But uh, we, a lot of us, we don't know what we don't know.
2: Well, that makes for a good transition. And Mark, why, since you're getting ready to handle the baton, I'm handing this tough question, toughest question off to you, which is, how in the world do you make decisions when you don't have everything in place that you need to make the decisions that you need to make? You know, how much wood could woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? That's kind of that kind of question. So um, how, what, what have what What have you attempted to do? I think that's probably the best way to ask this question. Yeah. Uh,
3: that's a It's a great question, Daryl, and there's a lot of metaphors. Uh, one of the ones that I've been using is I feel like we are we're flying a plane without instrumentation. And I was talking with a friend of mine that happened to be a pilot, and he said, "Just wait till you hit the cloud bank. <laughs> you know it's, it's great as long as you can see the horizon. But the problem is, is when you go down and you find yourself in the clouds and then you're flying without instrumentation, that's a scary place to be. I think that uh, I'm going to use some, some statements that when we hear them, we just kind of go, well, of course. But I do think that this has forced me personally, so I'm going to be a little transparent here. Um, my prayer life has gone up. Uh, You know, it's one of the the great challenges that Scripture teaches us, (laughs) that it is the good thing about pain. It reminds us of how dependent we are upon the Lord. And I think it's safe to say, um, I know with the three of us, and I can certainly know in terms of the discussions that Dr. Bailey and I have had together, uh, it has forced us to pray more. Uh, It has forced levels of communication, maybe, that weren't present. I think that's a great thing. Uh, it forces you to to state, restate, and then maybe overstate so that clarity um, is in front of us. Uh, one of the things that I have uh, enjoyed, if I can use that word uh, in the last six weeks have not just it's forced me to pray more, but it has it has shown me again the value. I'm not saying that I didn't know this, but it has reminded me of of the value of collegiality and a team approach to um, talking about um, getting the input of other people. I mean, you know, the, the old adage of out of the Proverbs of a court of three strands is not easily broken. Well, there's some level to that of saying that, having the input of others is is invaluable and i don't always see things the way that other people see it and jennifer can tell you my wife can tell you that she does not always see things the way i see it and so i think that this has helped and so when i've looked at the value of our executive committee dr Bailey, i think you would agree with that the the wisdom the collective wisdom that has come out uh, he made reference to us needing to make sure we're really communicating with the board so I want to say that it comes down to this. It's it's your walk with the Lord and prayer and a reminder of dependence, uh, listening to the wisdom of other people, assessing your data as best you have. The challenge that I have personally felt on this one is that we do not have the data that we normally have to make decisions. Uh, and I think for all the top A's that are out there and how we – probably collectively in, even as a Western culture, are very data-driven. We want to assess the facts as we have them. What happens when you don't have all the facts? And so that's where, again, I did, it just forces you back to those other two areas that I'd say prayer, dependence upon the Lord, listening to the Holy Spirit, um, and then also listen to the collective wisdom of others around you to be able to make those decisions. So it's been pretty simple for me. Uh, I don't think there's any uh, silver bullets, if you will, uh it's those things of of the Lord others, and assess the data that you do have,
2: so as you look ahead, and this is probably our last time for our last question um, of for this um as you look ahead, i'll let each of you speak to it um where Where do you feel like we 're sitting in other words we have we have a little better read on where we are than probably we were six weeks ago. I think that 's fair. We have a better understanding of much of what we 're dealing with, but we 're still not out of the woods. We have a little bit of a feel for the way in which the institution has continued to run in the midst of this uh uncertain period the way in which people have responded to us and my sense is is that people have been actually pretty generous to us as as an institution in terms of the way they've dealt with what they're dealing with in the midst of their support for us um that kind of thing um where do you feel like we're sitting as you look ahead and and uh and and although things are changing and not changing at the same time, I mean, we're opening up. That's a change, but we're still dealing with the uncertainty that we've been dealing with to a great degree. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you work that, and how do you work that as a team? And I do want to take a second to give a shout-out, and that shout-out is to Ed Heralko and the, and the team that uh ran the task force he literally dove into a black hole at the beginning of this thing i mean he (laughs) i would sometimes try and communicate with him and i'd get one sentence back and he'd ask for understanding and i got it i mean you know um but uh you know that group um of support and the it team which helped us turn around in two seconds on the blink of an eye they've been terrific the team that cleans the buildings Which were and they were being asked to clean certain buildings every two hours. You know, uh, there's just a lot of unseen. It's unseen people who often work unseen, but are really in many ways essential to making us work. Who ended up being very visible and transparent. Their presence was transparent to everyone. Which. And, and, it, and it's a it's actually a great opportunity to say thank you very much for making this all possible. the stuff that you do see from the people who you don't
0: see yeah let me, let me go back to I think you asked the how question, you know, and then I want to speak to the what issue mm-hmm. For me, personally, just being vulnerable as well, the words that have come to my mind uh, with with this kind of limitation. It is uh, a phrase that's it's, called me, its caused me to revalue my priorities. And what I thought was important isn't that important. All, all of us obviously miss the NBA, March Madness, everything we enjoy <laughs> about sports, you know, and maybe theater as well. It's, it's amazing how non-essential. And for me, it was a reminder that the Lord's list of uh, what it takes to be content is much shorter than mine. And uh, when you start paring it down and keep scratching off everything that he doesn't have on his list that I had on my list, uh, that's humbling. And, uh, but the issue of, uh, I really can be content is this, I can be happy and I'm in a great situation with my wife and our house and our home. And, uh, you know, we've had everything hit, hit the ceiling or, or hit the fan uh, <laughs> in, here in the spring in terms of a, a new roof, an air conditioner, a, A garage door opener, a root canal, it just, it just, at the same time, it's been wonderful to just work and walk through those together, and our prayer time uh, has increased, our devotional time Uh, together, we've always done those pretty separately, we're doing more of that together uh, at night now, with using Paul Tripp's book, New Morning Mercies, which I amazed how providential his selections are in that book for this time of the year, even Coming through the Easter, Holy Week, etc., and in our present crisis, and he's a wonderful writer. So I think that issue, and then the question of where does peace come from? Uh, how how can I be at peace in un, in unknown circumstances? And that relates then to your question of how do we plan for the unknown? And uh, and I think at that point, wisdom, as Mark said, with a team of people, wisdoms found in a multitude of counselors. Get get all you can get from all the right people. You can get it from besides. Your primary source, which is the Lord, the Spirit, and the Word, and then uh, and then I would say you have to create some multiple scenarios. You'll have to think of uh, some okay. If this happens, what would we do? What are what is what's the prog- you know the prognostication of the what ifs and what would we do if and to think through those kinds of things as best you can without, as Mark said, without having the data in front of you that you'd like to have it before you make the decision. How do you how do you anticipate without becoming reckless? How, how, do you, uh, how, how do you make good decisions for good preparation uh, and, and for the inevitables? And, uh, and so I think that's, that would be a, a quick answer or a long answer to a quick question uh, from that standpoint. But, uh, but I think that, that, that walking with the Lord just for the sake of personal perspective so that we're not rattled, we're not worrying in the wrong sense of that word. Our concern is legitimate and it's not anxiety. And uh, and then say you know we're doing the best we can do with what we've got and, and take it. But I also, uh, for me, the history one of the principles of the Old Testament uh, I love it. David when he's in the Valley of Elah, he had he had the faith that God could take care of the giant because how God had taken ha- care of him in the previous you know circumstances with the lion, the bear. I can take care. I can take care of this guy as well. The history of what God has done at Dallas Seminary, the history of what God has done in our own personal lives. There's a faith factor there that this isn't the end. This isn't the way it's going to finish. God's seen us through those kinds of days. God can see us through these kinds of days. And the mission can still continue. The institution may change and has to change in the times, but the mission can still be fulfilled in the ways God wants it to be fulfilled uh, at, all along the way. And so that faith of God, having worked through our history, is a faith builder for me for future.
2: Mark why? Get the last word on this. How, how would you uh, how would you think about this? And I I, I do want to just repeat the shout out to the to the staff that uh, normally goes unacknowledged and unseen, as well as to the supporters of the seminary who have continued um, to come forward on our behalf, for which we are most appreciative.
1: Carol, yeah, well,
3: I think Mark and I would both join you in that. We 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 applaud. Uh, our faithful faithful team that we are honored to work with uh, those that are seen those that are unseen uh, we've watched uh, the fruit of the spirit at work in the lives of those that we are privileged to walk with and that includes those that are employed at dallas seminary those that teach at dallas seminary and those that stand with us so we join you in that you know i think it it gives us ultimately it comes down to um, we have a greater opportunity to trust our Lord as we move into the future. Uh, I, if you read the data and you read what those are trying to look forward, uh, this is a defining moment in education. Uh, one of the things that I read on a regular basis are individuals in the, what's called the Chronicle of Higher Education, and they're looking forward of uh, what this may do in terms of uh, modalities of education. Um, the flexibility that may very well be needed. What do we do if all of a sudden this comes back, we start a normal model again? I don't think there's ever going to be a new – things are never going to fully be like they once were. I think that the COVID-19 moment is something that in years to come, we're going to look back at this moment and say, that was a turning point in a lot of different things.
2: Yeah, the old normal is history
3: that is exactly right this is a new era but we don't yet know what the new era is like Mm -hmm. now when i say that here's what i can say we of all people should be incredibly confident in knowing that you know what hasn't changed (laughs) he who changes not has not changed Mm -hmm. so i think we need to keep saying that over and over again and so i appreciate the words of dr bailey of saying the Lord has been with us in the past and he's going to be with us into the future and whatever comes our way no matter how deep the waters get no matter how rough the turbulence no matter how big the waves pick your metaphor whatever you want to go with God's got this. And so we're going to keep trusting him every step of the way and uh, he will not let us down.
2: Well, that's a that's a great word to close off on. I want to thank you both for um, really a, just a great conversation on this. Uh, you know, uh, the, one of the metaphors we've used in our office is you just ride the wave, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know whether it's going to be big, small, crazy, or or normal. But, you you know, you, the, bo- <laughs> the board is on that wave and you're – and. You, I don't know whether you're a hanging ten or a hanging by your thumbs, but you're. <laughs> but one way or the other, you're hanging and you're trusting him in the midst of it all. So I want to thank right. you all for that, and I want to thank you all for uh, joining us on the table. We hope this has been a helpful discussion to you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture.
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
0: This episode was brought to you in part by just these guys, you know. A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology. Empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys,
3: you know?